Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Hey, everyone. Last summer, back when I was pregnant with my little one, Henry, I was 38 weeks pregnant, and I got a pitch in my inbox that I could not refuse. It was from two women named Elena and Catherine of StoryMine. And they reached out and they said that they were both pregnant with their second kids as well. And they were co-founders of a business together. And they asked if I was open to a chat about how we can change the way that we think about preparing for babies as entrepreneurs. The timing was not on purpose, but they showed up as co-founders and they found out that they were both pregnant with their second kid at the same time. What ended up happening was that they decided to use these two simultaneous pregnancies as a kick in the pants to implement some of the changes that really they had already been trying to make over time for a number of years. In today's episode, we talk about how to unroll your pregnancies strategically and where the balance is between being authentic and also being strategic. We talk about using the leverage of pregnancy to change how you can change your project timelines and what they did to build out their project timeframes. We talk about getting better at building a team, which is advice that we've all heard over and over again, but they really took to heart once they both got pregnant at the same time. These are all fascinating questions that I'm interested in pursuing with Startup Pregnant. How can we make business better because of pregnancy? What if we looked at our bodies slowing down or our need for rest, not as a damning curse on business, but as a fascinating opportunity for change, for leverage, and for growth? You won't hear any of us saying that this is easy or this is like the most wonderful experience to go through. Change can sometimes feel like it comes through with a sledgehammer. But in many cases, it can be an opportunity for growth. In today's interview, you get to hear from three pregnant women all in their third trimesters. I recorded this when I was 38 weeks pregnant and Catherine and Elena are also pregnant or were also pregnant with their second kiddos. All of us have given birth now, but this interview is coming out and it was recorded when we were all very, very, very pregnant. Well, you'll hear it all. We're going to tell it like it is. So let's get started. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. This episode is brought to you by Splendid Spoon, a meal delivery service that has been really wonderful while I have been postpartum after baby number two. As you probably know, one of the things that can be really hard to do as a new mom is finding enough high-quality, good, nutritious, nutrient-dense foods to eat when you're super hungry and busy with all the things that you have to do. That's why I was so happy when Splendid Spoon reached out about being a referral partner. They make soups and smoothies that are ready to eat, nutrient-dense, and plant-based. Startup Pregnant listeners get $50 off your first delivery with the link splendid.to slash startup pregnant. That's splendid.to slash startup pregnant. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can get $50 off of your first week of delivery. And a couple of notes about the service, just because I've used it and I love it. Number one, it's really easy to cancel or pause your weekly membership, which I find more and more so important for services that I use. If you make it really hard, no bueno. And lastly, 
for full transparency's sake, I eat way more food than these soups and smoothies provide because I'm a breastfeeding, hungry, big, athletic human being, but I still find them really useful. I usually have them in between breakfast and lunch as a power snack, or I have the smoothie when I'm recording and I don't want to have like lots of chewing sounds in the background, but I don't have time to make a meal. So they have been perfect to have in my fridge and use, and I really love them, but I would not say that they replace meals. At least they don't for me, and I don't know if they will for new moms, but they have been really wonderful food sources. I would really love to know what you think if you try it and how it works for you. That's Splendid Spoon. And if you go to the link splendid.to slash pregnant, that's how you get your discount. All right, let's get on with today's episode. Today, I have two amazing guests joining me today. Elena, Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. So I first want to start out by giving context for when exactly this interview is happening. Listeners, for everybody listening, I'm currently 38 weeks pregnant. I've got lots of groin pain. I've got a toddler sick home from daycare. So he's in the other room napping. You might hear him wake up in a little bit and my husband go get him. And I really, really did not want to postpone this interview because I'll let them share. Catherine and Elena, can you tell me how pregnant are you and how's the day going for each of you? Well, I can go first because I'm next in line. This is Elena. I am almost 37 weeks pregnant, um, also having groin pain. (laughs) And I also have a sick daughter downstairs. She had a fever this morning and stayed home and she's hanging out with my husband. So very similar to Sarah. And this is Catherine, and I am the last in line, although I feel pretty darn pregnant at this point. I am, what'd you say you were again, Elena? 37? Yeah, 30, almost 37. 30, okay, so I'm almost 33 weeks pregnant, and I have a toddler who is not sick at home, although you all are making me nervous. <laughs> like, you never know when the daycare crud will, will come a call, and so that's where we are. So we've got three very pregnant ladies on this interview today. And even though we kept our toddler home, my husband asked, he's like, what's urgent on your calendar? I was like, I could cancel this interview because we set it up that way. But also if we cancel, I don't know if we'll be able to reschedule before (laughs) babies start coming. (laughs) So, So I'm really glad to be on the call with you both today. How have your pregnancies been? Elena, let's start with you. How are you feeling and how has the pregnancy been going? It's been pretty good. I actually, I'm surprised. I sort of had it in my head that it was going to be a lot harder the second time around, especially now that I'm four years older than I was the first time. But it's been good. I don't know if that has something to do with I'm having a boy now, you know, the the sort of old wives tale about girl pregnancies are harder. But I'm having a boy this time and feeling good. And one thing I did have done with both pregnancies is try to exercise every day. And it's an important thing for me for just sort of getting me out and about and that's really helped me, I think, feel good and sort of make it to this point without extreme back pain. But yeah, feeling pretty good. Excellent. I love hearing that. And Catherine? Yeah, so I feel okay. I feel it's felt faster this time, I think, because somehow the first pregnancy, there's so much emphasis on being pregnant. And then by the time you've had a baby, the second pregnancy, you realize how not unimportant, but compared to all the stuff that's coming up, it, it doesn't feel as important to know exactly what's happening at every moment and or you're distracted because you also have another human that you're tending <laughs> to in addition to all the other all the other stuff. So I am lucky that I'm not someone who is sick in the first trimester, but 
the pain that I get gets worse as I go along. So I am always really envious when Elena's able to exercise because I can't do I like walking up the hill. I can't walk the rest of the day because of back pain. So anyway, but overall, I will say, you know, there are people who have a way harder time being pregnant than than I do. So it won't come. Yeah, but still, the not being able to walk places or like my toddler tries to sit in my lap and there's no room and then he just mm-hmm. hits me. He's like, he's like, make room, make room. And it's like, there, it, sorry, your brother's in the way. Exactly. Yep. We're all pregnant with boys too, actually. That's funny. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Or if I sit for too long now, like everything just, I feel like a 75 year old, everything just aches and creaks (laughs) and my like tendons are starting to ache a little. Like I squeeze my hands. I'm like, oh, I'm puffy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I noticed that last night. That's funny you say that. I woke up. I was like, so this is a new thing that's not comfortable. Okay. Moving on. It's like the last burst of relaxin or whatever it is to put the surge before birth that like your body's just flooded. I feel like Gumby. I'm like, <laughs> like my muscles are all over the place and I'm like a little more slippy and folly. Like it's just, mm-hmm. just, it's real glamorous. That's- yeah, there's no dignity. There's no dignity. <laughs> it's super glamorous. Totally. <laughs> Okay, so I love this as context. We're all about to have some babies. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation we get to have today because we are going to talk about like how not just the pains of pregnancy, but how pregnancy can really move your business forward or kind of force you to level up in different ways, which I think is such a fascinating concept. We've talked about it on the show before, and you have so many interesting stories to share. Before we dive in, can you Tell us a little bit about Storymine. You have this company, you create amazing documentary videos for mission driven organizations. Can you share the journey to becoming co founders? How and when did you start this business together and why did you pair up? Yeah, so this is Catherine. I'll, I'll start. Elaine and I met in graduate school in journalism. So we were doing photojournalism, which quickly for us became video journalism, which also then kind of leans into this documentary world. And we sort of discovered that that was the place that we really felt the most at home, being able to tell true stories in this way where you can kind of deep dive and tell, communicate about really important issues through narrative stories or personal stories or human stories that people can really connect with. That's the thing that we really loved. And we both sort of thought in grad school that we probably weren't interested in going down the road of kind of traditional journalism or working for a paper or working, you know, for a network or that sort of thing. And part of that was because we both were really drawn to the idea of working for nonprofits. That's become large nonprofits to us, which mission driven kind of categorizes that a little bit more clearly for us because nonprofits sometimes give you gives you a very singular view of what that might look like. But there are a lot of organizations that are doing the work they do because they have a viewpoint or they have an issue or they have something that they really want to do to help change something that's happening in the world. And so we worked together side by side in grad school a lot. We just sort of became friends, honestly, and found that we worked really well together. And we also saw that there was this opportunity. So this was, I guess we were in, it was like 2009 was when we started grad school. So 2011 is when we launched the business. And it was an interesting time for storytelling where it felt like, you know, journalism is changing all around you anyway. Are there ways that you can sort of take this moment and figure out how storytelling can be used in different ways to help further whatever it is, a cause, a mission, et cetera? So yeah, so we graduated and 
started this company, which has now been seven years. And what we do is we create, we basically use the same strategies that we use when we work on independent projects or independent films where we really break down. So here's the issue. Here's the topic. How do you tell this in a way that really engages people and gets them to follow along because they're interested in what's about to happen? And in doing so, teaches them what you are hoping that they learn about your cause or your issue that your organization stands for. And we basically take that strategy and we work with organizations to help them apply that to the work that they do. Elena, would you add anything to that? I guess the only thing I would add is one of the things that we didn't quite like about journalism is it felt really fast. It's one of those things where you you see a story and you have to get it right, you know, get it one day and, and push it out the door the next day. And that never felt right to us. We really love getting deep into a story and looking at all the angles. And that's kind of how our business has developed and, and how we work with organizations. We don't just say, okay, we're going to do a video for you and we're going to get it done in two weeks. We say, okay, Let's set aside, you know, as much time as we can, six to eight months to kind of really deep dive, learn everything there is to know about your organization. And then we're going to kind of surface with this sort of comprehensive idea of how we're going to tell your story. I find this so interesting. And now I have so many follow up questions. You mentioned that if when you're collaborating, do you also take on projects on the side? And how does what does that look like in the realm of mapping out like the business structure? That's a good question. I think so this is Catherine. We have done independent projects. So when I say that, I mean, we are hired on as editors, basically, for somebody who's creating a feature length documentary. So there's one long documentary we were the editors on. And then we've had a couple other inquiries and projects that are, those are sort of longer term, how do we work those in? But I would say our main focus, and this has certainly evolved in the last six or seven years, is that we actually, we love the quote unquote client work. We like, we actually, as opposed to, there tends to be, I think this kind of assumption about creative work that, and we even learned this in school, like sometimes you feed your soul, sometimes you feed your belly. And that always felt kind of like, well, that doesn't seem like a great idea if you spend the majority of your time doing the work to pay your bills, but you don't actually love that work. And then you have to hustle on the side to do the work you really care about. What if you make that work that you do the work that you care about? And that's, that was really important to us from the beginning. So anything we do, like nothing feels like it's on the side. Everything gets sort of folded into whatever our larger calendar is. And I would say the majority of that work is stuff that we're doing from scratch with a client where we're basically, we are taking their general needs and ideas. We have a method and a process we walk them through to help really figure out what's the right thing for you. Because a lot of times the idea that comes at the beginning of a project is not really the best way to use video. So a lot of it is kind of this education piece where we say we want to marry strategy and creativity. So we don't want to just make something beautiful for you that in the end you're like, great, I'm not sure that actually told anybody anything. But we also don't want it to lean on the other side of what these videos often do, which is kind of just be a bunch of talking heads talking about telling the viewer why they should care about X, Y, or Z. Because not surprisingly, that doesn't really connect with people. Mm-hmm. Let me yeah, read you so, a PowerPoint. <laughs> exactly. That, and that's, I mean, so often that's what happens. But the only way to get people there is to kind of, is to work with them and figure out, like, let them know, no, we hear why you want to say all those things. And then let's, let us teach you a little bit about how to do that in this nuanced way to figure out how to make the greatest impact, basically. I mean, that sounds like such a compelling and useful thing to do. And I'm also, I want to know, how do you do it? And do you have 
an example of a project that you've worked on where you can really point to it and say, here's an example of how, you know, the cliche, show not tell. Tell us about one or two of your projects and why they were so effective. As a way, I I want listeners to go and get a better grasp of like the strategy that you use, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's a great, that's great. So let me see. I'll tell you kind of the three parts and then Elena, while I'm doing that, see if you can think of good examples that Mm -hmm. we can give that, that really show that. But basically we have this, like, it's kind of like a three or four part process if you think of it. So a lot of times what happens is, and this is something we've developed because so often people would come and say, Hey, you're a videographer. I have this thing. Can you do this basically? And then you do something and you look at this plan that was made by well-intentioned people that don't do video work. And you think, I mean, I could do that, but it's not going to be very good. So the option is a, you just do that or B you think, well, maybe I need to help them a step back, like take a step back from there and really talk about, so what is it that you're trying to do? And then let me teach you what is the best use of video. So we, in the last you know, six or seven years, that's kind of become this method where we have story design up front. We have this story design phase where we collaborate with the organization. We try to get everybody at the table that's going to have any strong opinion about it so that you don't get to the end of the process and have the chair of the board veto it because it's not what they were expecting, basically. And we make it very easeful, I guess, is what we try to do by basically saying, You're not going to have to write this yourself. You're not going to have to do all this work yourself. But if we just do it without you, when we get to the end, it's not going to be what you need it to be. And this is the time where we get everybody at the table to say, what are all the things you wish it could say? Now, let's talk about which one of those will really do what you want it to do in video. So that's kind of this story design phase. And then we go away and we do pre-interviews because since what we do is documentary, we don't hire actors. We don't write a traditional script we basically learn as much as we possibly can. And then we start talking to real humans to find whose stories will work to really illustrate whatever it is that the organization does. And that list of people generally comes from the organization because it's people that they've worked with or that their organization has impacted. So we've gone away, then we come back and we sort of say, these are the people, this is what we're thinking. Here are the general storylines. We always have to allow for wiggle room because that's the beauty of documentary is it's not scripted. So We never say this is exactly what they're going to say, but we say we at this point know so well what you need that and tell us now if we're missing anything that we feel confident that we can find the story as it unfolds. And then we go and we film it. We have a team that does all those things. And then we kind of come back and do the post-production side where we're editing and that's the real putting that story together. And then we do a really collaborative review as well. So that's another piece that I think is kind of more recent for us even, is that often there's this sort of sense with creatives that you have all the control up front and then you get to the final product and you sort of hand it over and say like, what do you think? But you kind of need to structure that too, so that it continues to be this educational process of what do you think in this way that will help us elevate the final product? So that's kind of how we flow through the the process. And I would say a good example would be the autoimmune encephalitis Alliance, which is sort of a foundation in North Carolina that they came to us. It's funny. They they were one of our first clients. They came to us right as we were starting StoryMine and they wanted us to just film an event, like somebody coming to speak about this rare brain disorder where basically your, your immune system and your body attacks your brain. And 
Listeners might have read this book called Brain on Fire that was written by a woman named Susanna Cahalan that was a really big deal a couple of years ago. And she was coming to town and and they said, oh, we got to film her while she's here. And when we were on the phone with them, we thought, OK, but the story of your organization is what's really the story here. And, you know, this woman's already written a book. That's that's not what you want to focus on. And so basically what happened is these two families were struggling with this really rare disease and they they found each other and created this nonprofit and their goal is to sort of educate people about this disease. And so we kind of convinced them, okay, well, yeah, we'll film the event, which we typically don't do, but then we're going to, let's do a documentary about this rare disease and, and about this organization starting. And so we went through this process with them and we've continued to work with them over the years. And we're actually now doing another video for them sort of about how their organization has evolved and how the disease has evolved and it's sort of created this really personal, wonderful partnership between our small company and their small foundation, sort of, you know, with the the journey of both of, you know, how we've both evolved. What I find so interesting about this is there's like this kind of meta layer of what's the next story or what's the story behind the story. And mm-hmm. I think so often about, you know, book authors who come and say, oh, I need a I need a trailer for my book, tell the story of the book. And it's like, well, let's go deeper, let's go sideways, or let's go beyond it. You know, where did the book come from? Or why is it important now? Or is there something happening contextually, as like, not just telling the same story over and over again, but telling Mm -hmm. like the the adjacent story, which I find so interesting, because that is in part what you are both going through right now is how do you tell the story of being pregnant business owners? Now, how do you communicate it to your clients, right? This, these are all the questions we're asking on Startup Pregnant. It's like, how and when do you tell your clients that you're pregnant? And is it a good thing or a bad thing for your business? And does it evoke panic or fear in people who have already committed to working with you? And what are the stories we tell ourselves? So, When you wrote to me, you told me that you were focused on using this unexpected timing of these two pregnancies. You both got pregnant at the same time. And it sounds like you didn't necessarily know (laughs) that you were both going to be getting pregnant at the same time. And you Mm -hmm. said you're going to, you used it as a kick in the butt to finally make some changes you've been slowly trying to make for years. Like what? Can you elaborate and tell me about this? Yeah. So this is Catherine, and I'll give you just a touch of backstory for me. And I don't know, Elena, if you want to do the same, but kind of gives a little bit of a frame of where we were coming from. From So this is our second pregnancy both for both of us. And the first time for me, I had just moved to a new city and I, from a business perspective, was sort of tasked with surfacing new networks and new potential clients. And as soon as I started showing, I, I like, I just avoided meeting new people in a professional sense, because I had this real honest sense that they would assume I didn't want their first impression of me, a business owner to be that I was about to have a baby and therefore I was going to be out to pasture. And I think I knew I had that feeling at the time, but I also then since then have really reflected on that, particularly once Elena and I both were pregnant at the same time. And it made me so mad that I felt that way. And it also made me feel like it didn't come from, you know, out of the thin air that I did feel that way. There are some assumptions that we make about women, but it also just felt like I was leaning into those assumptions in a way that I really, that went against everything that I feel as a woman business owner and as someone who tells stories that are supposed to be, you know, documentary and authentic. So I think that 
for me, that was, there was a, definitely a mindset thing that happened this time. And I think that if Elena and I weren't pregnant at the same time, there would be a little bit less of an emphasis on that. But Elena, I don't know if you want to tell your real quick backstory and then I sure. can move on from there, but. Yeah. And I, I just want to piggyback up what, what you just said about, you know, the first time we both were doing it on their own and we very much feel like this time we're doing it together. And even, you know, even like the small things, like what pains are we both having and like, what stage are we in? And you know, when we, the beginning of our pregnancies, we were both like on shoots and just starving, like ravenous, like eating all this food together. And, you know, it sort of evolved together. So it's, it's kind of cool to see how that's been different this time, but for me, I, I was the first one that that got pregnant, and I very much approached it out of from a place of fear. I think I was afraid of you know the person that I would be on the other end, and I thought I would maybe not be as focused. I wouldn't, you know, people would forget about me, and I wouldn't, you know, I would somehow overnight lose all my skills, and you know, I just had all these fears about all these you know potential disasters that could happen. And none of them did. And I sort of came back, you know, just as I was before, a little bit more tired, but, you know, just as enthusiastic and and ready to work. And so, you know, now having seen that, you know, the other end of that, I'm I'm going into this thing, okay, I'm gonna, I'm still going to be me and I'm still going to, you know, be able to do all the things I want to do. There'll just be a little bit of time in between. And so I think the kick in the butt part <laughs> for us came where yeah. because it was last time, you know, when Elena had a baby, I was not pregnant. And then when I had a baby, Elena was not pregnant. So we went into kind of survival mode in this like, so you're going to take care of all this while I do this thing, right? <laughs> and we did. And we were able to do that. But it was almost like a crutch in a way that we didn't have to face any larger decisions about the business because it was sort of this like, well, we can make this work while you're out. I'll just work Let's hard. Let's just I'll get just through it. Hard. Get through it. Right. Yeah. And then this time, both, I mean, some of it is because we're, a lot of it is because we're both pregnant, but a lot of it is also because we're just further down the line in, in our, you know, as a business, we've been, you know, evolving and thinking about ways to change structures and ways to adapt, you know, for, for years. And yet there's never been, it's, it's always easy to keep doing things the same way until something crazy happens like you both are having a baby so for instance you know building a consistent team taking more control of timelines and projects which is a huge piece that feels like can really benefit the project and certainly can benefit our lives to be able to have more control over you know when each phase needs to happen those things are things that we've been wanting to do but have always kind of been able to just make it work the old way and this has been kind of an opportunity for us to say, well, things are going to have to dramatically change for this particular period of time. And also, what does that mean in terms of it being an opportunity for us to do those things that we've been talking about? So we have, I mean, we've, we've already brought on consistent support. That's something that we've done in the last couple months in preparation. And we've started thinking about, so we build teams based on projects typically, but we've started thinking about that slightly differently in terms of thinking of it maybe more seasonally. And we've also really started thinking about that timeline piece and structuring things in a way that are, you know, we're able to communicate with our clients and our potential clients that we're going to be gone for a little chunk of time. Things are still going to be moving, but we're not going to be taking on any new things. And so there's this real sense of urgency that if you want to get on our calendar, you better do it now. So we sort of started that conversation a few months ago. And that will continue when we come back too, where it's sort of this like, we have always wanted to be doing 
a small number of really in-depth projects. And that's happened gradually as we've grown. And also, there's a true limitation in our ability if we're going to be easing back in, which we will be until we get back to full time. So all of those things are kind of specific things that we've started putting into action that we've wanted to do anyway, that we've been able to do because we've had this real sense of urgency around it. So I find all of what you're saying so fascinating. And I want to unwind and go back a little bit back to the first pregnancies where you both kind of had this feeling of like, well, I don't want to share the pregnancy yet, or maybe I don't want to show up to in-person meetings because people will think differently of me. And also that unknown space when you are pregnant for the first time and you wonder, like, who will I be on the other side? And the whole kind of mythology that we're swimming in in our culture that says that like women don't want to return to work, they drop out, they're destined to become mothers. Tell me more about this. Help me analyze this a little bit because I know that so many women have these fears. And then for some women, they can't come back to work because there's no freaking help. Like there's no support. There's no social structural support. But other people I've heard and I felt like I was like stumbling into a secret gold treasure mine, I've heard that they felt more creative or they were like, oh, wow, no, I really like cut the bullshit away. I really want to do this. I love what I do. Or it even birthed new businesses. When did you have, maybe it was one aha moment or a series of them, but like when did the light bulb kind of click on for you that, oh, wow, I'm behaving in ways that have been applied to me and maybe not necessarily are chosen by me? Mm. It's a really good question. Yeah, I would say for me, it was, this is Elena, it was not until the second pregnancy, because I think I didn't, I wasn't really reflective on the first one, because like we said, you know, I kind of just sort of got through it and thought, okay, you know, I got through that, I'm back to work, you know, I've got this whole, you know, mom thing kind of, you know, I'm figuring it out as I go, but I wasn't really reflective on it. And then when we both got pregnant, it was sort of just this aha moment of like, okay, how did we do it the first time? How are we going to do this, first of all? And how did we do it the first time? And then when we looked back at the way we did the first time, we had all these sort of aha moments, I guess, of like, wait a second, like, why, why did I feel like that? I shouldn't have had to feel like that. And I think a lot of that has to do with, like Catherine mentioned, just our growth as business owners, and probably as moms, you know, I mean, I think, there was a lot of coming into your own as a mother that I certainly did of sort of realizing I can't do it all and sort of just adjusting my life and just moving from being someone who's, you know, trying to, like I, in my, you know, first several months coming back in, I was always trying to check email and I was always trying to stay, you know, on projects and things like that and really trying to be the person I was before. And then it took me some time to kind of sort of evolve into this new person. And then once I was this new person, I looked back at at the old me and kind of wanted to do things differently. So the hardest part, other than the physical stuff for me of that really early time with the newborn was the like identity crisis piece. And I don't not going to say that that happens to everybody. All I can do is say what's what happened to me. But this definite feeling of like, okay, so the person I was for 32 years is now gone. <laughs> and she has turned into this sleep deprived milk production, you know, responding to this like beautiful miracle who also is kind of an alien being. I mean, just this, I had this fear 
And I mean, honestly, looking back, it must be a pretty small window of time. But when I was there, it felt like it would never end of this, like, where did she go? And who is this new version? And I remember actually in some kind of like, you know, breastfeeding sleep deprived moment when I was on Facebook and I saw somebody that I kind of knew who had a baby at the same time posted an article that I think the title was something like, it's time to say goodbye to the old you. <laughs> I was just like, oh my gosh, that is, I can't, that is really sad to me. I don't know what that means. And I remember talking to my sister who, she had had a friend who once explained it as like, it's like if you're a house, you're just adding on a room, like the old house isn't getting demolished. You're just like, there's going to be a new section and it's going to be an overwhelming piece of that house for a while. And then it's going to all kind of start to feel like part of that same house. And I think for me, because Elena and I at that point had been working together side by side for at least, I guess it must've been five years at that point, story mine, like the storyteller part and also the business owner part felt like such a huge part of who I was that the times when I've finally started really feeling more like myself were times when we were doing things that we used to do. And it didn't take away from the fact that then there were, there was also this additional new beautiful life, but it was this way of being like, right, I actually am the same person that I always was, but I'm doing something, I'm doing it differently and I'm doing it with this new additional, you know, life. That was pretty important to me, actually, I think. How long did you take leave? Did you take any partial? And how did you set that up the first time around? Catherine, maybe start with you. The first time around, I took, I want to say five, five whole months where I would occasionally, you know, Elena and I are also very good friends. So we're always communicating anyway. And our lives and our business intertwine so much that I don't think we've ever had a call that wasn't about both things. So certainly I wasn't totally checked out, but I wasn't, I mean, I had no, we'll say I had no childcare at that point. So I was occasionally working during naps, although that's never been something I've really liked to do because it just sort of stresses me out. So, right. So it was about five months and then I went back pretty much full time after that. Alina, I don't know what you did. I think mine was about three months. And part of that just had to do with that I was teaching a class at the time that had a certain start point. But I think also I, I kind of, this sort of goes back to my my feeling of a fear of not having myself back. I was like, okay, I'm going to take the standard three months and then I'm going to go back to work. You know, it was sort of like, now I could see myself taking longer or, you know, you know, doing things differently. But at that point I thought, well, I, I can't afford to do any, you know, anything more than like the bare minimum because that's just sort of where my head was at the time. Hmm. And then how does that influence the leaves that you want to take now, especially since you're at the same time from the same company? What does your plan look like this time? So this time, well, the beautiful thing about owning your own business is you get to create your own maternity leave. The bad thing about that is you also own your own business. (laughs) You have to create your own leave. (laughs) Totally. That is a little bit tricky, but the nice thing about where, because of our growth this time, we're at a place where we're able to sort of look at, you know, a year long budget, look like, look at projected income, think about projects we know are happening, all, all these sort of things we can have. We have a much better handle on the numbers. And also I think what we, I don't know, I think this is something that it seems like business owners, small businesses or creative entrepreneurs struggle with sometimes too, is sometimes in order to make structure, we find ourselves creating limits that we actually the whole point of owning your own business is to not have those limits, I guess. So at one point, 
I was obsessed with us making sure we had the same, like we need a maternity leave policy in quotation marks that we will both will do. And then as we were talking about it, we have a coach we were talking through and they were like, she was like, so it may be that what Elena wants to do and what you want to do aren't exactly the same. And wouldn't it be nice if you could build those things based on what it is that you both want to do, which is what we did. So I am going to take, I think it's going to end up being three months full time And then I'm going to take a longer time to ease back in. I kind of felt like last time I was ready earlier to be doing some work and I didn't have the support set up to do that because I hadn't planned on it. And then I also, when I actually went back in, I went back in full time without any kind of transition period for me. And I didn't, that was, that didn't feel like a great fit. So this time I'm going to be shorter full time and then really ease back in with some you know, a couple hours here and there where I have a sitter coming over and I'm, you know, working from home until I think about five or six months again, where maybe it's six months. I can't remember the exact timeline. Full-time will start mm. basically. And actually both of us are going to do full-time in this next calendar year is four days. So that's a shift as well. And then Elena, Oh, do you take the same day off together? That's a good question. We haven't <laughs> worked that out yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And we don't know. I mean, I'm kind of thinking too, you know, the nice thing about being flexible is just, it might be that, you know, I work five days, but I stop at three or, you know, maybe one week I'll do that. And then the next week I'll take a day or my guess is that it will be pretty fluid, Hmm. which we're, we're kind of already doing that anyway. You know, when we, cause we're always having to (laughs) take days here and there for sick kids and, you know, daycare closings and things like that. So it ends up being pretty fluid and it's great. It's just a real gift that we're both in the same place because, you know, if, if Catherine has a month where her kid is always sick, you know, inevitably two months later, it'll be my turn. And we can't really feel any sort of resentment because we know <laughs> it's going to come around and it's all going to even out in the end. Mm-hmm. And then what are you doing for your leave? Mine's going to be a little bit longer, completely out. I think it's going to be about four months and then I'll kind of come back in that, you know, I'll take longer, but then I'm going to come in more full time. And luckily, my husband got some paternity leave. So we'll sort of be transitioning when I'm coming back in, he's going to take over a little bit. So I find this so interesting. And we could probably have an entire separate episode just on leave, because there's so many ways to do it. And it's not easy to figure out, especially in the very early days when you're like trying to get a company off the ground versus a little bit later, five to seven years in or 10 years in. I'm really curious what ends up happening too, <laughs> like what mm. the changes and demands are. Cause one of, I wish that it were more dynamic. Like, you know, a mom could say at three months, you know what? I've got a baby that cries all the time and I haven't slept yet. So let's tack on another two months and then check back in, right? Which you mm-hmm. two might be able to do more fluidly than maybe a big corporation. So I want to ask you then about how you shared the news of your pregnancies. You talk about unrolling the pregnancies strategically and how to tell the story and share the story and get clients on board. Can you share a little insight into how you bring that into your business storytelling or not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this also, I think, comes from our own personal backlash from how we did or did not do it the first time even though it wasn't simultaneous. When I was pregnant, we were working on a project where we were doing 
kind of like a short biopic about Janet Reno in order to launch an endowment in her name. So we were going to be traveling down to Florida to her family home to interview her sister. There was just, we were interviewing Eric Holder. There were like some big stake things that were happening. And it was at a point where we almost always both of us went to film. At this point, we don't quite do that as often. We have teams that one of us is usually there and then we have a larger team, but that was new to us. And I was getting, you know, things happen. You're like trying to schedule with the people and the interviews. And th- so the, the production dates kept getting pushed closer and closer and closer to my due date. And eventually it was like, well, I can't go anymore because I'm going to be too pregnant to go. And I remember just, we talked, I don't know how many times Elena and I talked about like, how do we tell them? <laughs> you know, how do we tell them? Because it felt like we were hiding something. There was so much fear. It was, there was so much fear. And then we told them and they were like, okay, <laughs> like, like I don't even know if they had assumed I was going to be there. You know, it was it was <laughs> so much on us about what, you know, what the assumptions were, because it's not like we were saying it cannot be done anymore. It was just like, so instead, you know, one of our other people that we often bring in to be filming will be going with Elena and Catherine just won't be there. It, it was It was not that big of a deal, but it felt like, and I'm sure the reason it felt like a big deal was actually because it felt like we were kind of hiding something, you know? And so this time we... So the strategic part about it was, first of all, we just were like, well, it feels very off to us to not just have people know what's going on because our whole thing is like authenticity and personalizing things. And so that was part of it. Part of it was just like, okay, well, first we're going to tell our sort of inner circle. We're going to tell our clients, our current clients, our past clients, also because the work we do is really personal. We work very closely with these organizations. So by the end of a project, it's one of those things where you feel like, gosh, I can't believe I'm not going to talk to so-and-so again. So they legitimately were are happy to hear about this thing that's happening that's important in our lives. So that was a, a nice kind of reality check for us too. And also from a strategic standpoint, a lot of our work comes from referrals. And so for us to kind of say, just FYI, we're going to be out starting you know, four months from now. So we only have two spots left for projects that are going to start before we leave. And then we'll pick up when we get back. And we love getting work from people that you know. So if there's anyone that you bar that you know is going to be in this road, you know, give them the inside scoop that now's the time. So that was a nice way to kind of do like a sales move, basically, through also just authentically sharing that information. Elena, are there other parts of that? Well, I was just going to say, you know, I think in terms of like helping clients sort of understand where we are, if we didn't, you know, when we don't say anything and we just sort of keep it under the radar. And then all of a sudden there are all these baby pictures of our kids on social media. People might sort of put two and two together in their head and think, oh, I wonder if, you know, Elena's off now, or, you know, I wonder if Catherine's not working anymore. And they might make a connection in their head that's not there. But if we kind of come and say, okay, we're booking into 2019, this is what we're doing, you know, then they get the sense of, okay, you know, we're being very direct about we're still, you know, going strong. And this is this is how you can continue to work with us, as opposed to just sort of leaving it unsaid and having it be kind of a mystery. It was also an important moment for us to introduce to people who maybe don't, people think of us as Elena and Catherine, which we love because it's very personal, but we are bigger than that. We really are a team of people that work on these different projects. And it's always this sort of battle back and forth from like a branding perspective. Do you, are you personal or are you not? And kind of to you know, let people know, like, we're both going to be out and things are actually still going to be moving because, you know, we're probably bigger than you think we are actually, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of thing was also a nice way of just letting people in a little bit more on the inner workings of, of Storymind. 
That's so interesting. Have you had to change that over time, the branding and positioning of saying, no, we're a bigger team? Or what has that looked like? Well, for us, it's always us in the things that really, really matter. I mean, it's kind of this idea that from a story side, we are the ones that are doing the deep diving. We're the ones that are helping create the concept. We're the ones that are doing the major editing. So our hands are in all of it. But as we've gotten you know, more and more work, we've sort of learned that it's impossible for us to do the work at the level we want to do if we're also doing every single piece of it. So there are lots of different stages of the process where it doesn't make sense for us to be the one that's doing you know, the assistant editing work or maybe even having like a second, the second camera work or whatever the, the case may be for, you know, the kind of work that we do. But so that's something that just has been possible for us to do as we've gotten more work and also been an important thing for us to push ourselves to do because it's also very difficult to let go of any piece of a creative process. So. Yeah, that's, I find that so fascinating because you can build a brand around a name and then inevitably the brand gets bigger and there's a team. And Mm -hmm. it's always interesting to hear how different people position it. So I, I think the next question that I have on my mind that I would love to hear more about is to dive into the idea of the benefits of having a co founder. I know a lot of business owners that are solopreneurs or they're doing things on their own. And technically, I'm one of those. And so I do look a little bit longingly over at the grass is greener on the other side, wondering what has been some of the benefit of having a collaborative team and what are some of the unexpected highs and lows, if you want to share whatever you're comfortable sharing in public (laughs) with each other with me. (laughs) I realize it's kind of a loaded question to ask you and put you on the spot. But like, what are some of the pros and cons of, of partnership? And what have you learned along the way? I have to say, this is one of those things where my answer feels really obnoxious, because I think we've been just like, the universe has given us this really beautiful partnership that I don't know that that always is the case. So I feel like it's like someone who says, I love pregnancy. I love labor. My child slept 12 hours a night. (laughs) I don't want to hear that from you, but I will just say it's not true. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But I think that's the thing, I guess. So it's been really seamless for us. I think that that's just luck because of the relationship that we have. But also, I mean, strategically, we've also, we've been careful, I think, to try to also say like, yes, but we're not friends who do work together. We are, we are friends who are also co-founders and co-owners of this business. So we do try to not, we don't compartmentalize it, but we do try to think of it the same way. But I mean, the advantage is that we hold each other accountable. That's for sure. We also are able to divide and conquer in a lot of places. And I think, I actually think one of the biggest advantages is that like, we're really kind to one another. So in a moment where I would feel guilty about either something I don't feel like I'm doing as well at work, or somehow I feel like I'm, I don't know, a moment where I'd feel like a weakness in myself, inevitably, Elena is actually the one that makes me feel better about that. And that is strategically, I guess, one of to me the best parts about it is that it's like having a really a good partner, you know, in a marriage or in, you know, a relationship is someone that's able to say like, Hey, 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 don't do that to yourself. Cause actually here's what I see happening. And here's what I see you doing. Elena always does that for me. And I think that's one of the best parts about having her as my partner anyway. 
Yeah, I think we we do actually talk about it in marriage about marriage, even in how the business has evolved. You know, like we started out not you know completely intertwined financially. We were just sort of dating, and then we you know started our LLC and got married. And you know we talk about having contractors as having kids, and we, you know it very much is kind of a marriage in a lot of ways. But I would say one of the hugest things is we have complementary skills. I mean, we have, we learn to do video at the same time. And so we have, you know, our skills in terms of our editing and shooting are very similar, but our personalities are different. And so I think, you know, in terms of even the way that we're talking in this podcast, Catherine is, has answers right away. And I tend to sit back and answer later. And that really works for both of us. And, you know, there are certain things where we know personality wise over the years, like, okay, this is the kind of situation where you should take the lead because you can handle that better. And I might, you know, be more defensive or I might have, you know, more feelings about it. And so we've sort of learned about those personality things over the years about each other. And so that really makes just the day-to-day stuff so much more pleasant and easy. Did you have a natural divide of assignments or projects? Like, is one of you doing more of the quote CEO or operations type of work? Is one of you more front facing? And like, how did that start to separate out? Or what does the division of work look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I actually think the way we do that is different than what people often assume. So we actually often see in other partnerships or teams or businesses that do creative work is there's kind of this like, well, I'm the creative one, and I'm the business one. And that's, it hasn't divided that clearly for us. We actually both love both aspects. So we both love to talk about the strategy together. And we also both love to be hands in doing the creative work, which has been something it's actually funny. It's another one of those weird assumptions that we have put on ourselves as like, people expect there to be one person in charge of this and one person in charge of that. And that's actually, it doesn't feel like quite the right, the right fit for us. And I think as we've grown, we've been able to be like, and that's okay. And also we've started to see more of the, yes, but Elena does a lot more in-person networking because she just is out and does those things very well. And I do a lot more of the actual sales once we kind of like have somebody coming in because I don't know. I just like to think that way. So there are places where we divide that. And then in the creative work, it's very interesting because it just sort of depends on the product and how much we have on our plate. But one of the great things is that if we get stuck, I mean, creatively, if you're working on a project and you're just like, gosh, I just can't get past this version that I know is not right. It's amazing to be able to say, can you look at this for a day and just like tear it apart and give it back to me? And that, so depending on who starts it, the other person is the one who gets to tear it apart. You know, we do sort of trade back and forth on that. But there's never someone who's like, so Elena does all the story design and Catherine does all the editing. It's not that. Th- those pieces are always sort of mixed together. But we do often have, you know, just sort of like a project lead based on like vicinity of, to the client, for instance, or the person who, you know, sort of started the relationship. That's the one maybe they'll be most in touch with. But But both of us always know so much about each project that if one of us were to go into labor, for instance, (laughs) (laughs) hypothetically, (laughs) the client wouldn't be stuck with someone who's like, wait, I don't know what's going on with that project. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, I mean, one of the coolest things is that I can never tell, like if I look at a project, you know, six months after we finish it, I don't know what shots are mine and what shots are Catherine's or what edit I did and what she did. We're so 
in tune with each other and our and our style and our sort of knowledge of story is is so in sync that we we really do edit and work as a team in a way that not a lot of people in this business do. Usually there's a lot of lone wolves out there that sort of say, well, I'm going to take the lead on this and I, it's my creative vision and we don't work that way. Hmm. Oh, this is so interesting. I'm always curious about what the creative and collaborative processes look like because there are so many of them. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you know now, is seven years, six, seven years into running a business together and having been through first pregnancies and on the other side of motherhood and parenting. If you were to go back and give advice to somebody who was finishing their last year of grad school or contemplating a creative career and becoming a parent, what do you wish you could tell them? This is Elena. I would say don't be apologetic about it. You know, I think for me, there was so much sort of fear and apology going into my first pregnancy and I think, you know, this time around really owning it makes me feel so good. It makes me feel just in control. It makes me feel like, yes, I can do this. And it also makes me feel like I'm being true to myself and being true to my family and and our business. So I would say sort of don't be apologetic, but then also sort of make, make it work for you. I think one of the things that we've done, and this is just by virtue of the fact that we, you know, own our own business and we can be flexible is that we can make decisions that are right for us personally. You know, like Catherine was saying, she's taking a little bit longer when she's coming back in, you know, from maternity leave. And and we very much are like in tune with what we need personally. And that's how we design sort of how we approach things. And I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that's a, you know, a great way to kind of approach this sort of unknown time is like, okay, I don't have to fit in a certain box. I can I can look at what I need and, and what's going to serve me best. And I would say, I kind of, I'm going to compartmentalize it a little bit. If I were just telling somebody who was thinking about starting a creative business, my number one thing would be think of yourself as a business as opposed to somebody who just does the work and gets paid for it. I think that we as creatives, there's this tendency to feel like you're supposed to just be like, so grateful someone would possibly compensate you for doing the work that you love to do. And by doing that, you're really not understanding the value that you're bringing to whatever the work is that you are doing. And I think the best way to get a better handle on that is to look outside of your specific creative field and to listen to podcasts about businesses, to you know, read, read books, read articles about businesses that aren't doing what you're doing necessarily. So you can really start thinking about it from a business perspective so that you don't get caught up in this we joke early on before we were story mine, somebody paid Elena <laughs> for a project she did with a bottle of infused vodka. <laughs> like, that can't be sustainable. Like it has to be there has to be a better way. So I think just sort of this like shaking yourself out of this idea that, wow, am I lucky to do this? Oh, you're gonna pay me? Great. That's not a recipe for success in creating a business. You have to think about it in, in much bigger terms. And then in terms of being a, a creative business owner or a business owner who's beginning parenthood or just anybody, I think it would just be for me coming from that fear that I had, most likely you're going to be you on the other side of this. It's just going to look different. And the beginning of it is going to look a lot different. And that can be really scary and overwhelming, but you know, you're not going to disappear. And I think that that's really important. But also I think in doing that, it's important to acknowledge but you might feel like you disappeared for a little while so that when you're in that space, you don't think somehow you're not doing it right because you feel like 
maybe you've disappeared, I guess. And I will say also, we are all three of us going into still uncharted territory. You know, there's this thought. <laughs> and this time I know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to have two kids. I don't no. know what, <laughs> what this new one's going to be like. I don't know what the second, you know, deliveries. I don't know any of that. So this yeah. kind of hopefully understanding and grace giving to yourself and your partner and everybody else of like, even though you have a sense of what it was like, <laughs> it, you still, there's the, gotta be this like flexibility and hopefully kindness to yourself about what it might be like this time. Yeah. I'm quite looking forward to circling back in like a year's time and listening to this and being like, Oh, interesting. That's what I thought. <laughs> exactly. 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 You sweet little fool. You have no idea. Totally. Totally. Oh, you sweet mother of only one child. Good luck with that. No, I don't know. Had it back. Right. Exactly. But it is one of my favorite things about this podcast is that like the years are going by, and I get to go back and revisit past selves and kind of keep track of them and and see how we change, but don't change kind of like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Well, so where can people find out about your beautiful award-winning videos and watch what you've made while you are far from the creative process and you are nursing your new little ones to life. <laughs> yeah. so our website is storymindmedia.com. And it's, that's the same. The story, story my media is our handle in most places. And Instagram is usually the the place where you can see, often we'll give clips and sort of some of the attached, some of the strategy to what it is that went behind it. Cause so that in addition to seeing the final work, you can also get a little bit of the, and how does that happen? And that's usually an Instagram. And then also sometimes we post some stuff in medium, but story, my media is the best way to find us. Mm. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. I'm so glad we got to do it, even with toddlers home. <laughs> I know we, we somehow survived. <laughs> And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.